ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name's Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. Federal Labor has struck a deal with the Greens to pass what is called the Nature Repair Bill. And it includes an expansion to the water trigger legislation. Now, what will this mean for gas companies operating in the Beedaloo Basin? What will it mean for farmers? We'll be talking about this soon. Also today, you'll hear about a program that is donating fresh mangoes from Catherine into remote Indigenous communities. They absolutely love the fresh mangoes. Um, I do worry about the suspension on the vehicles when they leave here. <laughs> yeah, they definitely love the fresh mangoes and eating it and picking it and they have a great time. And did you know that tonight in Sydney, it'll be playing host to the inaugural TikTok Awards. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Guys. Yeah, the TikTok Awards. I'm excited. (laughs) On the Country Hour today, something special. You'll meet probably the oldest bloke in the room at the TikTok Awards tonight, but he is a legend of the North. He is armed with a stock whip, and he will be on the Country Hour before 1.30. Oh. Sorts of things on the country hour today. I hope you can stick around. We're broadcasting right across the territory on the ABC. And g'day there if you're tuning in via the podcast. Now, the only helium production plant in the southern hemisphere is located in Darwin. But it has now shut down after its gas supply ran out. BOC has been producing helium as a byproduct from the Santos owned Darwin LNG plant since 2010. But that gas plant has now temporarily closed because Santos's gas supply from the Bayou Undan field has reached its end of life, forcing BOC to also cease its helium production. No more helium. Global helium consultant Phil Kornbluth explains how Darwin came to be the nation's hub for helium. Helium is inert. It doesn't burn. And uh, the other major uh, inert that doesn't burn in in natural gas is nitrogen. So typically in an LNG plant, your helium and nitrogen are impurities. And uh, in the cryogenic process or the cooling process to produce the liquefied natural gas, liquefied methane, the helium and nitrogen are extracted. Uh, as or they're removed as a uh, waste product, and when there's sufficient uh, enough quantity of uh, waste gas with a sufficient percentage of helium in it, you might have the potential to produce the helium commercially. So that was the case in in Darwin. The uh, the Darwin plant, uh, you know, had capacity somewhere around 180 million feet per year of of uh, helium, which is uh, uh, you know, several times more than the uh, size of the entire Australian market. So it was definitely uh, commercial interest. And uh, so, you know, when, so helium have, was helium was being exported from that plant. Yes, yeah, it was uh, supplied. You know, the majority of the Australian market, if not all, but you know, it probably was a little bit still coming in from outside. And then the uh, surplus was uh, 
primarily uh, exported to uh, Asian markets. And on the scale of international helium markets, how big of a plant was the Darwin helium plant? Roughly, roughly uh, 3% of the global market, which, uh, you know, it's not a huge percentage, but it, it put Australia on the uh, helium map. And, you know, 3% still significant. And especially, you know, with the, the, the price of helium has gotten quite high in recent years. We you know we've had a series of shortages uh, since the Darwin project was first conceived. Since the agreement was signed, uh, there have been four helium shortages that lasted, you know, two years, three years. And the price of helium is much, much higher than it was uh, back when this uh, project was first negotiated. What does it mean for Australia to have now have no local helium production? Well, it, it means uh, that, you know, all the helium that's required in, in Australia, and I, I don't recall exactly how big the Australian market is. It was around 50 million feet a year back in the day, but it's probably a little bigger than that now. I'm, you know, I'm going to guess it's, you know, 50 million, 60 million feet a year, possibly a little larger even, but somewhere in that range. But, uh, you know, the, the, the helium is all going to need to be uh, exported, uh, excuse me, imported now. Probably it will be imported from uh, the U.S. and Qatar, depending on who's bringing it in. You know, the uh, the major industrial gas companies that, that dominate the helium business, you know, they have supply from the U.S. then they have supply from Qatar. Uh, the U.S. is the number one helium producer. Uh, Qatar is number two. And uh, no one else is uh, in the same league as those two uh, right now. But yeah, the Australian uh, market is still going to get their helium. It's going to be imported and until, unless and until uh, Darwin can be restarted. Uh, and, uh, you know, it'll probably cost uh, more than it would have cost if it was produced domestically, simply because there's going to be more transportation costs involved. And for those people listening who may only know helium for its use in party balloons, why is it important for Australia to have access to helium? Well, uh, helium has a number of uh, different uses. Certainly the diving market is one that Australia uh, has on mostly in Western Australia. So helium is uh, used as a, a breathing gas and um, you know, oxygen and helium mixture uh, is used for diving because when you breathe air, if you go down too far, you can get, uh, it's called nitrogen narcosis, which people call the bends. So helium is used in diving, for diving gas. The major applications, you know, MRI is, uh, liquid helium is used as a refrigerant for MRI scanners. So that's obviously uh, an application in Australia. The other really large application is the, Semiconductor manufacturing uses helium. It's used in uh, optical fiber production. It's used in welding as a shielding gas. That probably is a fairly significant application in Australia. And then, yes, you have uh, balloon, party balloons and blimps and aerostats, things like that. You know, it has a host of applications. But, yeah, you know, the average person uh, walking down the street, if you talk to them about helium, they would immediately think about party balloons and and, uh, probably most people aren't aware of any of its other uses. Santos is trying to backfill its Darwin LNG plant with gas from the Barossa field. If it manages to do that, will BOC be able to fire its helium plant back up again? 
You know, I don't believe so, uh, Dan. It, it's uh, the uh, Barrasso field doesn't have uh, sufficient concentration of helium in it to uh, justify the restart of Darwin. So no, I, I don't think that's likely. Does BIC but have any there, other options is, then? Yeah, I mean, there is uh, exploration going on for helium in uh, Central Australia. Uh, Santos is involved, and the country, a company called Central Petroleum is involved. There's probably, you know, a couple of other companies that are involved. And if they uh, are able to uh, extract helium and, and produce gaseous helium in uh, Central Australia, it could be trucked by a high-pressure tube trailer to Darwin. And then at Darwin, it could uh, the, the final purification and liquefaction of the helium could take place. So, you know, one possible scenario would be that Darwin becomes a essentially what we call a tolling facility where uh, it produces liquid helium from gas that is uh, delivered by truck. That is Phil Kornbluth, who is from Kornbluth Helium Consulting, speaking to Dan Fitzgerald. In a statement from BOC, which is owned by the multinational chemical company Lind, it said it would continue to supply Australian and New Zealand customers with imported helium sourced from several Lind plants that are overseas. The company said it was actively looking for new feed gas sources in the Northern Territory. And indeed, there are other companies looking for new sources of helium in the NT. As we've reported before on the Country Hour, Central Petroleum is investigating the viability of installing a helium recovery unit on its existing conventional gas wells in the Marini Basin. Central Petroleum also has a joint venture with Santos to explore new helium resources in the Amadeus Basin to the south of Alice Springs. You can read more about this online right now if you search for NT Country Hour. I think a lot of people have been shocked to learn that Darwin was the hub, the only hub for helium production in this nation and in the Southern Hemisphere. It was all happening here in Darwin and now it has stopped. Go and have a read of that article. You'll learn a lot about helium. I know for me, I just didn't realise how important helium was for the pearling industry. Hello there. My name's Norm Hedich from Taruna Proprietary Limited and we're Spanish mackerel fishermen in the Northern Territory and you're listening to The Country Hour. Our text number for The Country Hour is 0487991057. I see a text from Brett who says, The shutdown of the only helium plant in the Southern Hemisphere at Wickham Point is sad for the workers although I'm sure that BOC is big enough to redeploy those workers to its other operations in Winelli and other sites Australia-wide. It also indicates possible poor business planning by the company. It has been well known that the Santos ConocoPhillips LNG plant only had a very limited life from before that helium plant was built and that there was no guarantee that further resources would be available. It was purely speculation that Barossa would be available. But I can just imagine the incredible tax write-offs, write-downs and losses that the company can now claim, reckons Brett, on 0487991057. It's called the Nature Repair Bill. It was passed in federal parliament last night. What does it mean for gas companies? What does it mean for farmers? What does it mean for the environment? We'll talk about this next. 
ABC Sports coverage of Test Cricket returns. What about that? Unbelievable. The Sound of Summer. Drives beautifully through extra cover for four. Hear it live and ad-free. Now there's some power there. That's the big appeal. And the finger eventually goes up. Australia v Pakistan. December 14. Right here on your radio, ABC Sport Digital. And take it with you on the ABC Listen app. Now, last night, the government passed its nature repair bill after reaching a deal with the Greens. And there's a few things here. The new laws will allow miners, farmers and other landholders to cash in on nature-boosting practices, but it will also prevent them from buying offsets for habitat destruction. Now, there's also been a few changes to how the water trigger will be applied to gas projects, and we'll talk about that in a moment with Kirsty Howie from the Environment Centre NT. But first, here is the Federal Environment Minister, Tanya Plibersek, who says the Nature Repair Bill opens up some great opportunities for landowners. This is a really exciting opportunity to see more private and philanthropic investment go into nature repair in a way that prevents greenwashing. So, What we'll have is um, landholders like traditional owners, farmers, um, to private landholders more generally, paid to restore and protect nature on their land. And it it means that, for example, if you're a farmer and you've got a remnant rainforest on your land, you can get paid for keeping the feral species and the weeds out of it. If you're a traditional owner in Central Australia, you're doing cultural burning and reintroducing threatened species into your land, you can get paid to do that work. We are really excited about this as an opportunity to bring additional investment into into nature across Australia. Who will monitor this? Uh, it'll be monitored in the same way that uh, Australian carbon credit uh, carbon credits are. It'll be monitored based on um, it'll have uh, specific um, methodologies in the same way that a carbon credit does. Uh, those methodologies will be recommended to me uh, as the minister, uh, and the um, the uh, same sort of conditions will apply. Uh, we'll make sure that the um, that the methodologies are consistent. It'll the methodology will have, for example, the size of the area that's being um, protected. It'll have the threatened species that are on that land. The clean energy regulator will regulate in the same way that they do with Australian carbon credit units to make sure that there is consistency, transparency, that the projects can be verified, that they will be tracked and that they will be monitored. Mm. But, I mean, you'd be aware, obviously, of the the issues with the carbon credit system. You're responsible for water as well. You would have seen what uh, water trading has done to the market and how open that has been uh, to rorting and, and malfunction maybe is a more generous way of putting it, how certain are you that a system like this can work, given that we're talking about very small-scale stuff? Well, I, I think this is the benefit of the approach we're taking. There were problems with Australian carbon credit units. That's why we got the Chubb review to do a, a really good 
review of methodologies to make sure that people are getting what they pay for when they pay for carbon offsets. We'll take the same integrity approach to this market. And you mentioned the water market. In fact, we're investing millions of dollars to bring integrity to the water market as well, because we don't want cowboys operating in the water market. Everything we've done in the carbon market, the water market, and now the nature market is consistently aimed to make sure that we are avoiding greenwashing. That's the Environment Minister, Tanya Plibersek, speaking with RN's Hamish MacDonald. Kirsty Howie is from the Environment Centre NT. Uh, Kirsty, this expanded water trigger legislation, can we talk about this? Can you, I guess, explain to us what the change is? Yeah, it's a really significant change that really we've been waiting for uh, as a community for over five years since it was first promised um, as one of the outcomes and recommendations of the Pepper Inquiry into hydraulic fracturing. And what it does is it'll create an additional approval, an additional scrutiny um, under federal environmental law, the Environment Protection Biodiversity Conservation Act, of the impact of fracking on water resources. And the reason that's so important is because uh, at the moment, there is no federal scrutiny of the impact of fracking on uh, on water resources. And there have been a raft of decisions made in the Northern Territory, which have been heavily scrutinised by organisations like ours, but also the public, um, that mean it will just create that additional safeguard um, and additional scrutiny um, from an independent scientific committee and ultimately the Environment Minister herself. Right, so can you give us, I guess, an example? We've got a company like Tamboran working in the Beedaloo Basin doing fracking. What does this change mean to a company like that? Well, it will be quite a big change for Tamboran in the sense that um, that company would need to apply for uh, Northern Territory approvals through the usual course, and that's under the Petroleum Regulations or the Local Environment Protection Act. But they will also need to apply for an approval uh, from the Federal Environment Minister. So that will be a separate application. In some ways, it's similar to what a lot of companies have to do now anyway, if there are impacts on threatened species, for instance. Yeah, and, but it will and specifically it, address water. And is it correct that companies that deal in coal seam gas have already been operating under this type of legislation? That's exactly right. Yeah, so right. in in states and territory, well, states like New South Wales and in Queensland, uh, this already applies to coal seam gas, but also to coal mining itself. And it means that you get a proper cumulative impact assessment of the impacts of these kinds of industries that takes into account the impacts on other industries as well, like farming, like pastoralism, um, and, you know, the effects on communities as well. Well, companies in the Beedaloo have to do this in retrospect? Or is it sort of a, a from now on type of thing? I'm pretty sure it'll be prospective. So it'll be looking forward. Um, and, you know, we do know that these companies are looking at final investment decisions in the near future, that there are active consultations happening right now for production. And what they're going to be needing to do is make sure that they comply with this new federal law um, that's aimed at protecting in an additional way um, water resources like the Cambrian Limestone Aquifer and everything that it supplies, including rivers like the Roper and Daly, um, from the impacts of fracking. One of the other 
last-minute changes, for lack of a better term, to this nature repair bill is getting rid of biodiversity offsets. Uh, What's your thoughts on this being a good move or not? I think we, on the whole, welcome this move. Uh, And I I have to scrutinise the detail of what's been, what what the deal is, um, you know, before passing too much judgement on it. But one of the key criticisms was that while this nature repair market uh, might be viewed as a good thing and a a good thing for landholders in particular, um, it shouldn't be mixed up with the offsets market, which has been under a lot of scrutiny federally and also at a state and territory level, um, you know, around the country and should be dealt with entirely separately and differently from this new nature repair market. And I think that sort of stands up. Um, that's that's a good mm. decision, but the devil will be in the detail and, you know, we're all waiting to see that, I think. Um, yeah. And I think, I think we're about to hear from some farmers who are saying the exact same thing. My understanding is it stops someone buying credits because a few trees were planted in Tasmania to warrant wiping out hundreds of thousands of hectares in the north. Is that your understanding? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, you know, this is a key principle of... Uh, uh, of offsetting is uh, that, you know, there should be like for like if you, there is damage done to uh, biodiversity or nature in one area from bulldozing trees, for instance, then, you know, you shouldn't be able to compensate it with something that bears no resemblance <laughs> to the impact uh, and the damage that's been done. And that's the kind of thing that needs to be stopped. Um, and if this bill goes some way towards uh, stopping that from happening, then I think we need to welcome it. And just finally, Kirsty Howie, can I ask you about helium? <laughs> oh, you can try. <laughs> <laughs> um, so our top story on the Country Hour today is that the only helium production plant in this nation, in fact, it's the only one in the Southern Hemisphere, is in Darwin, and it has shut down because its gas supply has been exhausted. And we've got... A text from Greg, for example, saying shutting down of the helium plant is a fantastic demonstration as to why the blanket opposition to gas field development is so bloody irresponsible. (laughs) I guess, have you got any thoughts around this idea of, like, we know the Greens are calling for no new gas projects, no new coal projects, but Australia now finds itself in a position where we have to import our helium. Now, that doesn't seem like a good thing to be doing. Well, I think that I do know a little bit about the helium that has been taken from the Bayouindan field in Timor-Leste. And as you yeah, would probably it, be it. aware, yeah, it's um, that field is now completely exhausted. And one of the unexpected gases that came from that field was helium. And there is absolutely an operator in Darwin, uh, Close, close to the, the harbour, which has been producing and selling helium. My understanding is that it's not clear that there would be uh, such stocks or resources of helium in other reservoirs. Um, so this was probably always going to be um, anticipated and should have been planned for. Um, for instance, I have no knowledge and certainly nothing uh, is there in the, in the evidence that I'm aware of um, that the Barossa project, for instance, contains significant stocks of helium. So uh, we'll just Appar- have to wait and see. Yeah, what, what the country has learnt is that gas from the Barossa wouldn't, it wouldn't be viable or, or there's perhaps not enough percentage of helium in it anyway. 
But there are the, there's other spots on the map that does have gas with enough percentage of helium in it. And I guess that question is, is that a sign that you can't just ban all gas? Well, I think you need to weigh these things up. And at the end of the day, what we're seeing with these new gas fields and new reservoirs coming online are a pretty extraordinary climate impacts that on many analyses, including that of the International Energy Agency, just aren't compatible with a safe climate. Um, that's pretty clear advice. At the moment, we've got the conference of parties uh, being held overseas where they're talking about a phase out of fossil fuels. And um, I don't know exactly where helium stock should come from in the future, but certainly uh, where you have such significant climate impacts as those that would be unleashed from projects like the Barossa and the Beetaloo, um, those should, should outweigh uh, other possible benefits, which are pretty speculative at this stage, I would say. Thanks so much for your time today. Thanks so much, Matt. Kirsty Howie from the Environment Centre NT. Got another message here from Greg in Parap, who says gas contributes to all sorts of medical uses. Our text number 0487 991057. Let's get back to this nature repair bill. The chief executive of WA Farmers, Trevor Whittington, he says the devil could be in the detail when it comes to this bill, and from what he's seen, he's not impressed. And he believes the changes passed last night in the parliament could kill off development in regional areas. Uh, look, they've made two fundamental uh, mistakes. Labor is that desperate to get uh, refugees and, uh, and rapists off the front page of the, of the national papers that they capitulated and agreed to remove offsets as part of the new nature-based trading mechanism and also to link uh, water assessments to fracking, which is going to kill gas exploration in the eastern states. Well, let's take a look at those two areas then. Firstly, the offsets. And uh, Green Senator Sarah Hanson-Young was on the ABC's Insiders on the weekend and she was saying that the idea of allowing the protection of one part of nature, a particular area of koala habitat to be saved in order to justify the destruction of nature somewhere else is bonkers and that's not environmental protection does she have a point absolutely she has a point and that's how the greens think you know but unfortunately back in the real world there is trade-offs you know we uh, have to clear land uh, to build mines or farms or uh, have property development and when we're going to import half a million people a year into australia we need to have some sort of offset because we are going to impact on the environment. So the best way of managing those offsets or the, is to put in a, a market-based solution. The alternative is you have bureaucrats sitting around a table deciding where the projects to go ahead. And, um, you know, that causes problems. We don't know what's, what's an acceptable level of trade-off. So this is a well-developed system. It's been a lot of discussion, previous government, industry, agriculture supports a trading-based system and the Greens have just pulled the rug because they just can't stand profits and they just don't understand markets. So how would – can you just give us an example of how the offsets would work practically on-farm? Yeah, okay. On-farm, um, and similar to mines or property developers, a farmer wants to remove 
10 hectares of bush because it's in the wrong part of the paddock. It doesn't get nice, long, clear harvesting runs or seeding runs. And it's been half eaten out and half burnt out. But under the clearing rules, you can't. But if you could clear that and get an offset, it could be 10 to 1. So you've got to plant 100 hectares of full native uh, vegetation and a rabbit-proof fence it protect it it's a big enough block that it's you know protected from you know chemical drift and weeds and all the rest of it and you've got an obligation over the next you know 100 years to put a title over that and protect it you get to knock over 10 hectares now the greens couldn't stand that but you would essentially go to the market and buy your uh, certificate of uh, nature credits and you could buy one trade off one for 10, 10 to 1 and away you go. Or you do it with your neighbour or someone else does it, doesn't matter. But it's an incentive for you to plant trees or it's a price you can pay to clear land. So that's been removed, that option? That, that, that trading mechanism has been removed. So now there will be a market set up, like there is a carbon market that's been established and there will be some magical person who will come along with a billion dollars and he will gift that money to people who want to rabbit-proof fence off their 10 hectares of farmland. That is Trevor Whittington, who's the Chief Executive of WA Farmers, speaking to Belinda Varischetti, this nature repair bill. You can read more about it up online if you search for ABC Rural. On the text line this afternoon, Ian from Nakara says, gas is okay as long as you don't dump the waste into the atmosphere. Someone here on the text line says, 6,000 products are made from oil and gas. Which ones does the Environment Centre want to get rid of? And a text here that says, helium is a bloody critical gas for every eight-year-old when they realise they can break it from a party balloon and talk in a squeaky voice, says Des at the Little Roper Stock Camp this afternoon on 0487991057. I got told this morning that if you work in the helium game, you would never let your kids break open the balloon and suck in some helium, uh, is what I got told. <laughs> it's an interesting story. We're out of helium. Production has stopped in Darwin. It's all up on our website if you're interested. We've got to go to the newsroom. See you back here in five for a chat with the Weather Bureau. G'day, my name is Floyd. Yeah, I work in the Spanish mackerel fishery and in the Gulf of Carpentaria. I love what I do and love my job. And You're listening to the Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. In a moment, you'll hear about a program that is donating fresh mangoes into remote Indigenous communities. I absolutely love the fresh mangoes. Um, I do worry about the suspension on the vehicles when they leave here. <laughs> yeah, they definitely love the fresh mangoes and eating it and picking it and they have a great time. And did you know that the inaugural TikTok Awards are on tonight in Sydney? Oh, my God! Oh, my God! Guys, yeah, what a big shindig that'll be in Sydney tonight. <laughs> On the program in a moment, a very special guest. We'll be chatting to well, one of the stars of tonight's awards. He is a granddad from the Kimberley. He's probably going to be the oldest bloke in that crowd at the TikTok Awards. 
He's an absolute legend. He'll have a stock whip in hand as well. He'll be on the Country Hour in a moment. Stick around for that. Let's go to the Weather Bureau now. Rebecca Patrick is there this afternoon. Uh, the TikTok Awards, you'd be getting excited about that, Beck. Oh, I'm ecstatic. Yeah. Matt? Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's just <laughs> what everyone's talking about. Um, I can't say I'm on TikTok. But no, it's, uh, it's a big platform. And uh, Granddad, who we'll be chatting to in a moment, uh, his videos with his grandson are uh, getting watched by millions and millions of people around the world, which is really cool. Really cool. Um, there's been some... Uh, well, it's not cool in Central Australia at the moment. It's very hot. What are, what's yes. some of the top temperatures as we go to air? Yeah, indeed. We've already seen uh, Alice Springs, Yulara, um, uh, over 40 degrees today. Um, so we are expecting around that 42, 43 for, for most locations, uh, even forecasting um, almost 45 degrees for Kintour today. So, um, yeah, very hot conditions across Southern districts and also across the Tanami Barclay as well, expecting those temperatures in the low 40s. What can you tell people in terms of when the cool change is expected to arrive and, and change this story? Yeah, so not great news for the next few days, but we are expecting the next ridge to be building across the south from Saturday. So um, definitely seeing quite a significant cool change moving across the southern districts over the weekend. Um, probably we'll see about a 10 to 15 degree drop from Friday to Sunday across most locations. Um, and that'll also move up into the Barclay district as well as we go into um, Sunday, but more likely Monday, um, seeing those cooler temperatures um, in the 30s anyway. Um, so not as not quite as, as cool mm. as the southern districts, but a little bit of cooler air moving up as well. In some better news, there has been a bit of rain around parts of the north. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the... Um, the the totals to 9am this morning, our highest was at Adelaide River Station with 56 millimetres. Uh, Darwin Rural Area also picked up some pretty good rainfall, Noonamar recording 50 millimetres. I think that was with about three waves of storms that moved through yesterday afternoon and, and overnight. Um, so they got a bit of a, a good drop there. Um, uh, elsewhere, uh, Howley Creek with 42, but generally we're seeing numbers around that 20 to 50 millimetre range across um, the western parts of the top end. Okay, more to come in the next few days? Yeah, um, so since 9am, Groot Island in the eastern Arnhem has seen another 55 millimetres, so um, just indicative of some of the rainfall mm. that's out there. Um, that's with some storms that have been moving across the Gulf of Carpentaria uh, and will continue to move westwards through the remainder of the day. Uh, it's a little bit quieter over the uh, the Daly District at the moment due to all that activity that we did have yesterday, um, but might see something moving across late in the day or overnight. Um, also seeing some storms down through the Barclay area, um, had some around Tennant Creek this morning and they've uh, continued through that area and a few more starting to develop this afternoon. I think, um, um, and just 
on that topic. I think mm. some of those storms in the Barclay have not been without some repercussions. I saw a note a moment ago from Bushfires NT. It says landholders in the Barclay region have reported multiple fires started by lightning over the past few days. The fire on the Barclay Highway east of Three Ways Roadhouse uh, was being managed by landholders. Windy conditions saw the fire jump to the northern side of the highway, but this is now being contained. And yeah, just looking at um, the NAFI website, there is a bit of fire sort of around that part of the Barclay on places like Banker Banker. So mm. there's, there's been some consequences, I think, to some of those storms. Yeah, unfortunately at this stage not seeing a lot of rainfall. Um, I think Tennant Creek only picked up 0.6 millimetres. So, um, yeah, any lightning through there is um, probably going to have an impact. Um, next few days we could see a bit more rainfall developing across the southern and central areas um, with a bit more um, northerly flow bringing some moisture down from the north. So, um, yeah, might see some increased rainfall in coming days. Okay, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. No worries. Thanks, Matt. G'day, I'm Jermaine. G'day, I'm Caleb. And we're from Territory Bees. We're out here in Darwin's rural area attending to some hives and you're listening to the Country Hour. It is 11 past one. Indigenous communities near Catherine have been coming into town to handpick fresh mangoes to take home and share with their families. Now, this fruit, it's coming from the Catherine Research Station, which has teamed up with a local organisation that is called the Narungalung Rise. To learn more about this, Jan Kahoot had a chat to Tegan Havey from the research station. So lately, Narungalung Rise have been involved with picking the mangoes that have been left over from the Rootstock Scion trial. So every year we do our harvest for data collection and then Narungalung Rise come in after, along with Catherine Rise Ventures, and then pick that fruit that we don't use for her data and distribute it out to community. So they come from the different trial sites that we've got. So the Rootstock Scion trial, which we're standing in now, um, also the uh, NM National Mango Breeding Project block and our germplasm block which is where we lock up some genetics and um, save them for the future so they just pick anything that we access to our needs and off they go what communities are we talking about so nuka manyalalak baranga beswick bullman and binjari and you've also had associations with uh, the women's shelter i believe yeah, so some donation of mangoes were made to the women's shelter. A lot of the other donations have been to creches, primary schools and aged care facilities in the communities. Why are you doing this for communities? So the reason why we do this is people wouldn't ordinarily get access to this fruit and instead of us letting it go to waste and having staff pick a little bit of it and having most of it fall on the ground or be subject to um, birds eating it, it's better that we send it out to community they get to enjoy it they wouldn't normally um, have mangoes in such a huge quantity so it brings them joy it brings them fresh fruit and we get to work with Narungalung and Catherine Rise which is great. So why do you think it's important for community groups to have fresh fruit distributed to them? Sometimes fruit and vegetables is quite expensive in community Um, it's probably cheaper to get junk food sometimes so getting nutritious food out to them is really great this is mango distribution is kind of an extension of the healthy for life project where the participants grow their own vegetables and distribute them out so they've 
growing tomatoes, chilies, snake beans, sweet potato, all sorts of different things, cassava, and yeah, just to make sure that they're getting a balanced diet. And you've been also running other activities besides distributing fresh mangoes, which involves planting avocados? Yeah, so the Narungalung Rise and Catherine Rise teams have been hugely helpful in planting the avocado trial and um, even preparing the trees for planting by painting them with a sunscreen, which is a mix of paint and water. So without them, a lot of the research trials would take longer to either finalise or establish in the first place. So we've been really grateful for the help that they've been able to give. And so what's their reaction when they're doing and getting involved in such activities? Um, when, they, when we planted the avocados, they were pretty excited. Um, we couldn't keep up with the trees with them and we needed more shovels. So I was getting shovels from everywhere across the farm that I could find anything that might act like a shovel, not necessarily a spade or a shovel. So they were pretty excited, they were pretty keen and they, they knocked it over really quickly just because of the enthusiasm that they showed that day. What about the fresh mangoes? Do they love the fresh mangoes? They absolutely love the fresh mangoes. Um, I do worry about the suspension on the vehicles when they leave here. <laughs> yeah, they definitely love the fresh mangoes and eating it and picking it and they have a great time. That is Tegan Havey, who is the Senior Technical Officer at the Catherine Research Station. Those juicy mangoes from various farm trials go into a great cause. It's a quarter past one. This is the Country Hour. Just quickly back to some resources news. The Northern Territory's Mining Minister says the NT has just had a record quarter for mining exploration. Here is the Minister, Nicole Manison. Uh, great news for the Northern Territory. We have just had a record quarter for September for mining exploration in the Northern Territory. We've had a $74 million quarter. This is up 30% on the year before, and we are bucking national trends. The nation went up by 5%. The Northern Territory went up by 30%. And the reason why is because the message is out there loud and clear. The Northern Territory is the place to come for mining exploration. We have the best mining exploration program in the country and that's because this government has increased it from $6.5 million a year to $9.5 million a year because we want people to come to the Northern Territory to explore for our resources. The message is also out there that we have the critical minerals the world needs. The Territory's Mining Minister, Nicole Menison. Companies out there looking for critical minerals. Are they out there looking for helium, though, Minister? We need helium. That's what we've learned today on the Country Hour. Now, up next, we are off to Sydney, ladies and gentlemen. We are off to Sydney as excitement builds for the inaugural TikTok Awards. I'm really excited for you to meet a granddad who is in that crowd. He is a legend of Northern Australia. He's got a stock whip in his hand. He'll be on the Country Hour next. This is probably the most TikTok-friendly song that I think we've got in the Country Hour's playlist. It's by Harry Styles.
The inaugural TikTok Awards are being held in Sydney tonight, which according to the organisers will bring together popular creators, the biggest viral trends and the most talked about moments from 2023. Now you're probably wondering, why is the Country Hour talking about this? (laughs) Well, one of the nominees for Creator of the Year is Tom Forrest, a.k.a. Outback Tom, whose videos of cooking up food with his granddad in the Kimberley have reached millions and millions of people worldwide. Hey, Granddad, can you start me a fire? Yeah, no worries. Rightio, so today we're making bean tacos. Mmm, <laughs> unbelievable. Far out, that is absolutely delicious. So easy. Wow, that is seriously 10 out of 10. I'm not even joking. That is one of the best outback meals we've cooked. Okay, so if you're in Sydney looking for breakfast and you've ordered one of these, what sort of money are you looking at? Look, I'm going to be honest, I reckon a cafe in Sydney would want something like $29 for this. Here we go, just knocked it up here. Didn't even have to go easy, to Sydney. Easy. How good is that? <laughs> I'm a fan. I'm a fan. And let me tell you about Grandad, a.k.a. Steve Forrest. Prior to his life of going viral on TikTok and being nominated for social media awards, Steve spent nearly 30 years working at the remote Wyndham Port in the Kimberley. He was the manager there for about 20 years. I spoke to Steve earlier this morning and got him to share the story about how the adventures of Outback Tom and Grandad started. Well, um, Tom, Tom sort of branched off into journalism. He worked in the in Warringarry radio station for a while in uh, Kununurra and then got a job with ABC and he was based in Broome and then went to Sydney and he wanted to do a, a cooking show. So we sort of wrote up a few things, but cooking shows were done to death and... Uh, of course, he couldn't get it run on TV, but he had a TikTok account. And um, when he came back to uh, Wyndham, uh, we started just doing TikTok um, cooking, just <laughs> you know, not too serious and um, a bit tongue-in-cheek sort of cooking. And uh, well, I think after the first three videos, we did a kangaroo tail one or something like that that got three and a half million views in a short period of time and we're up and running (laughs) can you remember what that was like realizing that the numbers were just going into the millions for something that you did at the back of Wyndham it was was something brand I got left behind in the technological age but I've kind of caught up a bit now but it was kind of really exciting you know you'd open TikTok every day to see you know, see how the numbers had gone up and what the comments were. And, and we, you know, we were getting positive comments on all our stuff. And then uh, the Americans were would overlay it, you know. There'd be an American TikTok reviewing our thing. And, <laughs> and it, yeah, it was pretty exciting, you know. And But now we're Instagram, YouTube, um, Facebook, you know, it's the whole spectrum. And now you're in Sydney today. The TikTok Awards are on tonight. Uh, what's that like? What's that like as a feeling? Well, well, I'm as nervous as all shit because I didn't realise but um, until I got here, but we have to do a, a, live, <laughs> a live show. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's about, I don't know, there's five or six creators that are doing live shows 
and we happen to be doing one. And what we're doing is a stock whip thing. You know, I've always had a stock whip. I, you know, grew up on a farm, so I've always had a stock whip. So the grandkids could crack stock whips and that. But we're not really gun stock whip people, and <laughs> we just ha- happen to do a video out on the marsh where Tom cracked a prawn out of my hand and a put a cigarette out and a few things like that. And that, you know, that got 150,000 views or something. And someone wrote in and said, do you allow this crack? And so we went up and got the audio right with a bastion in the background. So we've got an echo. And um, Tom did four cracks. And within two days, that had two million views and heaps and heaps of comments. And um, so what we're going to do tonight is probably... Because we're a light-hearted show, it doesn't matter if we stuff it up anyway, but um, we're just not stock whip people. We're, we can crack a whip, but um, we're doing a stock whip uh, show at the TikTok Awards tonight. There'd be a few other granddads there tonight. You know, is that kind of crowd, is it? Um, <laughs> I think there's very few granddads. <laughs> <laughs> I might be the only granddad, but... <laughs> There's going to be there's going to be thousands of people there, and I mean, I moved to Wyndham in 1972, and there's some reason I stayed in Wyndham, and I think it's because you get a lot of personal space and not too. But Sydney is just constant noise; you can't see the skyline for buildings, <laughs> and um, and the noise noise is just going 24 24 hours of the day, and. Uh, I'll be actually pleased to get back to Wyndham. I mean, I'm pleased to be in Sydney, but there's no way I'm going to move down here. Uh, getting to work with your grandson, travelling around, having fun, is that better than working at the Wyndham Port? Oh, it's it's different, but the Wyndham Port was good, you know. Every industry had its own, own character or own personality, and the, the one that really got me was the the live cattle industry you know there was so many characters and people you know i mean not just quick ones that come to mind is you know david heath sterling buntine david o'hare um there's just loads and loads of people that were really interesting to work with very good at their job and uh that entertained me no end the live cattle industry steve ellison they oh, they go right back for years and years it's just loads and angus adam there's just heaps and heaps of them that were really interesting characters and i really enjoyed working with them i'm not sure if all those people you just rattled off are on tiktok to cheer you on tonight but wishing you and tom all the best good luck hey all right thanks very much i just about guarantee none of them are on tiktok <laughs> Steve Forrest, the Outback Grandad. He's in Sydney for the TikTok Awards. (laughs) Uh, Dear, he started working at the Wyndham Port early 1990s. A lot of people in the cattle industry will know Steve. He is a character and now doing some wonderful, really entertaining stuff with his grandson, Tom. We do wish them all the best. It is time now on the Country Hour to head to the sale yards. With all the latest prices out of Dublin, here's John Traeger. Good afternoon. Numbers increased marginally this week as agents offered 200 lightweight and open auction cattle. Quality was generally very good as the market lifted in line with other recent sales under good competition from the usual trade and processor buyers, especially butchers and restockers. A top price of 302 cents a kilo not seen here for quite some time. 
Yielding steers sold from 260 to 282 cents, as yielding heifers ranged from 132 to 278 cents. Manufacturing steers sold from 165 to 206 cents, grown steers 216 to 250 cents, and grown heifers 200 to 230 cents. Light cows sold from 78 to 172 cents, as heavy cows ranged from 100 to 200 cents. Bulls sold from 116 to 200 cents a kilo. This is John Traeger, the South Australian Livestock Exchange for MLA's National Livestock Reporting Service and the Country Hour. Thank you for that, John. If you missed our top story today about helium production coming to an end in Darwin, go and check out that article by Dan Fitzgerald. It's up on the NT Country Hour website. And keep it rural.